Are you leaving, Jordan? You're, le you're not leaving? Okay. You want me to start without you? Okay. It's been an amazing week, hasn't it? I don't want it to leave. You know what my, my dream is? Um, after visiting a thousand churches, my dream is to go somewhere that what we're believing for actually happens. And we don't. I don't have to leave. I can just sit and watch it. Wouldn't that be amazing? If we could just see it. See, I was thinking today, you know, I was a little discouraged because I was trying to lead this homeless guy that's at our hotel to the Lord named John, and he's just out there. And I can't even understand anything he was telling me. But he was that close to coming to church. He almost got in the car with me. And, um, and on the way, we stopped and blessed another homeless lady, and I want more of God's glory on me so that when we touch them, they're just instantly born again and healed, you know? I want more. I want more. So I was a little discouraged, but I thought that I was thinking today about, like, the Hillsong. You ever heard of Hillsong United? Who's heard of them? Or, like, Jesus Culture? They were just youth group worship bands that caught the attention of God and he said, ah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I feel? I feel like this church is one of those I think you're getting the attention. And I think he's just getting ready to go. <laughs> so, man, this is amazing. What could God do if none of us stop him? What could God do if none of us limit him? We just stand under his cover. Just chase, chase after more with him, right? I want more. Don't you guys want more? I don't want to have a long service tonight. I've got to drive to Seattle tomorrow, so I'm going to try my best to do a 10-minute sermon. I think I can. I think most everything I do is like introduction. I think the sermon will be really short. So, but I have two thoughts I'm thinking about. One is talking more about what Rob talked about this morning on 1 Corinthians 12. But then another thought that I have of why we don't operate in it all the time. So I may try to bring the two together if you'll bear with me. And then I want to pray for impartation and you know, activation and miracles. and So we got a lot to get done. 
So turn to 1 Corinthians. I just feel so much love. I feel love, man. I mean, I feel love in this room. And love never fails. Love never fails. It doesn't fail. There's koinonia here. In, in fellowship, in true fellowship, gifts flow freely and people have permission to express the dream that God put in them and people have permission to get real and talk about the pain that's in them. It only happens in fellowship. So that's what we're experiencing. So I don't want it to end. Amen. Okay, so the Holy Spirit, he's like the dove, right? John 1, 32, he came down and sat on Jesus kind of like in the form of a dove. And Craig talked today about the two wings of prayer and praise. And I want to just share a little bit tonight on the two wings of the Word and the Spirit or the fruit and the functions of the Spirit. You know, in Galatians 5, it says the fruit of the Spirit is, and Rob touched on this the first session. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, right? Faithfulness, self-control. There's nine ways the fruit might manifest. And so if you get the Holy Spirit, you get that whole wing of the fruit. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you have love, you have joy, you're kind, you have peace, you don't just get half the wing, right? There's a wing of the fruit, but there's also a ring of the gifts and the functions of the Spirit. They're both, you have to have both of them to be like Jesus, right? And so if you say, well, I thought that person was a Christian, they're not kind. Well, they don't have the Holy Spirit. Or the Holy Spirit doesn't have them Amen. because his fruit is kindness. It's gentleness. Some people say, well, they're just, you know, they're just Irish. No. <laughs> they just don't have, the Holy Spirit just doesn't have them. Because if he has his way with you, then love, joy, peace, all those things are flowing out of you, Right? But also, if, if the Holy Spirit has you, these nine functions that are in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11 are capable of flowing through you at any time. Okay? So let's just read through them. I don't want to do a lot of exegetical teaching. I want to do more stories to be a practitioner to cause faith to rise in the room. How's that? Um, I think my job is to create a culture where faith permeates every cell anything's possible for those who believe I want to be in this room tonight where anything's possible so I'm going to try my best to make this a faith charged atmosphere is that good so, so let's go through these um, 1 Corinthians 12 7 it says but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. See, I think the manifestation of the Spirit is just like the, the endowment of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, the influence of the Spirit. It's when, it's when the Spirit finally gets to possess all of you. And so the manifestation of the Spirit is given. He wants to give it to each one in the room tonight 
so that everybody in the room will benefit. There's really good news and bad news. There's good news and bad news about this service. Which would you like first? The bad news? The Holy Spirit could fall on somebody in this room tonight and just wreck them terribly. Like you wouldn't ever recover. You want the good news? Holy Spirit could really fall on somebody tonight in this room. <laughs> and wreck them. <laughs> and they'd never recover. <laughs> so it's just whichever way you want to look at it. <laughs> he won't land on anybody that doesn't want him and doesn't welcome him. So what will draw him is our heart. He already wants to pour the Spirit on all flesh. But what draws him is our heart of hunger, our heart of desperation, our heart of brokenness, our heart of need. We're just broken people, man. But he holds us together and makes us a treasure. It's awesome. So the manifestation is given for the profit of all, right? For the, for, so then he goes through these, um, these nine different functions of the Holy Spirit. For to one is given the word of wisdom... Through the Spirit unto another, the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit unto another, faith, by the same Spirit unto another, gifts of healing, by the one Spirit unto another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, distinguishing of spirits, and to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing them to each one, individually as he wills. I want to propose to you tonight that if you're really baptized with the Spirit and the manifestation of the Spirit comes on you, all these nine functions are on you to be used by him as he wills. In other words, you get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, goodness faithfulness, self-control with this wing, but you get wisdom and knowledge and faith and healing, and miracles, and prophecy, and tongues, and interpretation of tongues, and discerning of spirits. You can't chop up the wings. Either the Holy Spirit rests on us, or he doesn't. There's no Nazarene version of the Holy Spirit. There's no Baptist version of the Holy Spirit. There's no charismatic version of the Holy Spirit. There's just like the Holy Spirit version of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> And when he falls on you, he has a right to do whatever he wants in and through you if he really possesses you. In other words, you're his love slave. You become his instrument of righteousness, Romans 6, 13. You have a weapon in his hand that he can blow through you anything he wants to do to bring glory and honor to his name. So that's the premise I want to preach from, okay? And, and so the first one is wisdom, and it's like divine truth. I love that. I love it when God gives you divine truth, divine wisdom, divine truth. We need truth. Truth sets us free. Wouldn't that be neat to know that one of the functions that the Spirit can't wait to flow through you continually, if you'll let him, is the stuff that continues to set you free. Yeah. And if it's setting you free, probably it's contagious with others around you. Yeah. The next one, it says, into another word of knowledge. That's when just God gives you knowledge on something you didn't know. He could tell you something about somebody's situation or... 
And it brings healing. It brings deliverance. It brings a solution to something that they couldn't find a, a way to figure it out. But God gives you a knowledge and all of a sudden you speak it and boom, something happens because it wasn't your knowledge. And Hosea 4, 6 says, my people perish for lack of. Wouldn't it be amazing if nobody had to perish because we were getting his knowledge all the time that everything that caused us to perish, we were reversing all of that because we were filling the void of lack of knowledge with the words of knowledge. Amen? Can I tell you what a word of knowledge will really do for someone? The next function is the gift of faith. That's the faith of God. When someone speaks something about you or your situation that there's no way they should know except God told them, what does that do in the person that just heard that word of knowledge? Faith. Boom. They're in sequence. Faith is when you just know. It's like it happens. Like this last fall, I was in Medford, Oregon, and I was talking to the lady that was going to get me healthy, and she said, my next-door neighbor's dying of cancer. She has stage 4 cancer. It's all through her body, and all of a sudden, God gave me faith. Call her over here. He's going to heal her. You wouldn't do that unless you knew. I said, Kathy, do you think she'll come? Oh, she died. She, she couldn't believe you'd ask her. So she runs over there. She sat next to me in the living room, and I had the gift of faith. I had God's faith on me. Yes. It wasn't hard. See, it's almost cheating. <laughs> so I grabbed her hand. All of a sudden, now God gives me words of knowledge. And I'm just telling her about her family and how she's been despised and about the pain she's had trying to hold it all together. And people think she's nuts because of her faith. And she's looking at me like, how do you know this? And, and I said, God's telling me because he's going to heal you. And when I gave her the word of knowledge, now her faith is catching up to my faith. Right. I just prayed a simple little prayer. And the next day she went to her oncologist and had a new PET scan and a bone scan. And they couldn't find one trace of cancer in her whole body. Yeah. Sure wasn't my faith. I was needing enough faith to get myself healthy. But when God owns you, he can dump his faith on you whenever he wants. And he can let it flow off of you whenever he wants. Amen? It's going to happen tonight to so many of you. You're never going to be the same after tonight. Then it says, and to another, healing. Gifts of healings. You know, some people, the function of healing, you know, often operates through them more predominantly than the other functions. You know, like a Benny Hinn or a Randy Clark or, you know, there's a lot of people. Oral Roberts, go down to William Branham. They operate in words of knowledge and prophetic utterances, but there was a lot of healing that predominantly, I think whatever you yield yourself to believe in that realm, that will be the, the thing that God trusts functions to flow through you. If you'd like... I don't want to be disappointed. Probably that function won't function much. Even though it's not your function. It's these gifts of healings. It's something that the Spirit does through you. It's not something you can muster up. It's something that God wants to flow through you under the impulse of the Holy Spirit that possesses you. But he does need somebody to cooperate with him. Come on. He needs the power of agreement. If two of you on earth agree, well, if we're in agreement with the one who possesses us and lives in us, and you always have the power of agreement going, he just wants us to believe what he's trying to do through us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Gifts of healings. Let's see how this one works. 
I was in Michigan, Midland, Michigan. Little boy walks up to me. He's nine years old. He's got an arm bent like this. He's dragging his back foot. And he walks up to me, and his little name's AJ. And I said, Hey, what's up? He goes, Hey, Brother Dan, would you pray for me? I have, but the Holy Spirit only. I don't have any faith for that. But the Holy Spirit owns me. He possesses me. I don't have any grid for cerebral palsy. You know, back pains, usually 90% of the people I pay for, pray for with pain are always healed. Because that's an easy one for me. I got hit by a semi and I had a lot of pain and God took my pain away so it's easy to give it away. I didn't have cerebral. Freely you receive. So... I said, okay, AJ, Jesus, heal this little boy. Reward him for his faith. Amen. So just one week goes by, and his pastor calls me. Did you hear about AJ? No. He went to the doctor because his parents couldn't understand what happened Monday when he got home. No, Wednesday night when he got home from church, his arm straightened out, and he wasn't dragging his left leg. And they couldn't figure it out. And it's like... And so they went to their doctor two, two or three days later, and he said they couldn't find the spots on his brain and his arms straight, and he's not dragging his leg, and his, his language is not slurred, and they don't, they don't have, the doctor doesn't have an explanation, so they're sending him to a specialist. <laughs> and so the next week, he went to the specialist. Now listen to this. He went to the specialist. And then they called me again, and they said, Brother Dan, we just got to tell you, he doesn't have cerebral palsy. But let me, let me explain what happened. I didn't have the gift of faith. The little boy did. Yeah. And his faith probably worked in conjunction with the father's faith. And there was somebody there that he believed actually believed in miracles. That's why you need to believe. If you believe in miracles, people will come to you thinking that you'll believe in miracles. And so when I just laid hands on him and just prayed, I didn't pray presence-driven. It was a principle thing. But I was available and obedient, and the gift of healing flowed off of me onto that boy and healed him. And it was not just a miracle. It wasn't just a healing. It was a creative miracle. Well, it's not my gift. It's a function of this wing. I said, oh, that's, I'm sure glad he came up to me. I don't feel like I got nothing. And a week later, now I got faith about it. So now cerebral palsy doesn't seem so impossible. You with me? Last year we were in um, Columbine Hills, me and Craig, and I got up to preach, and the Holy Spirit says, there's a girl in that second row, you need to call her up and pray for her. And I said, what? I haven't preached. Do what I said. I'm a yes man. Ma'am, do you need prayer? Yeah. Can you come up here? Not without my husband's help. She's this little skinny gal. So she, her husband helps her up. I said, can I pray for your stomach? Yeah. So I prayed for her tummy. And she came back that night, and she didn't need anybody helping her walk. And this is what she said to me. I had surgery, and they cut me open, and all my muscles aren't healing. And I'm in constant pain, and I can't stand up without my husband helping me. I went home this afternoon. I didn't have to take my pain meds. And I came back tonight. It's like, I don't, need, I don't have any pain at all in my body. Well, <laughs> what, what was that? That was like a word of knowledge and a gift of faith, and a discerning of spirits, and a gift of miracles, all functioning with the guy that's just getting ready to preach a sermon, but he's always in tune with what does God want to do. 
Are you with me? I don't have a plan. People, people ask me, how do you do your ministry? I follow the cloud. It drives some people nuts. My wife. But he doesn't fail. And so that night after that lady testified, what that testimony did was it put faith in the room. Testimonies create faith. A lot of times people grieve the spirit or rob God's glory or touch the glory when they're afraid to testify. Because what if your testimony ups the faith for somebody else to get their breakthrough, but you're afraid to say something thinking it'll jinx your little feel-good thing? And maybe we really do need each other because the manifestation of the spirit that brings healing to one person, their testimony is for the profit of everybody in the room. So anyway, faith rose that night, and that's the, that's the night the lady that tried to get me healthy, his family was there, and her husband got healed that night because faith rose because a lady got healed in the morning that I didn't know was sick. I like better not knowing. Amen. You know, pastors will call me sometimes, let me tell you about my church. No, don't. Craig will tell you that. Sometimes I want to fill me in on what's, I don't want to know nothing about the church because it blocks what God wants to tell me. I don't want to have man's agenda. I wonder what the Spirit wants to do. He sees better than us. And the problem with most pastors, they're so close to the problem, all they can see is from their problem perspective. Anyway, that's not even part of the sermon. So there's a guy on the back row, and he's got oxygen. He can't walk. He has a walker. And he's got all broken out skin everywhere. And so faith is in the room. And I looked at him and I said, hey, what's wrong? He goes, I have Lou Gehrig's. Okay. I got faith for Lou Gehrig's because I've seen it healed a couple times. So that doesn't scare me. Once you see something, it doesn't scare you. So I said, can we pray for you? Yeah. So we prayed for him Sunday night. Monday night he comes back to the service. No oxygen. I said, what's going on? He goes, I don't know. I feel good. Tuesday night, he comes back to the final service of the revival. No walker. No blotches on his face or his arms. He walks around the whole church with us, laying hands on everybody we're praying for. His name was Larry. He was healed of Lou Gehrig's disease. How did that happen? Because God spoke to me and said, pray for that lady on the row, on the second row. So when I prayed for her, God healed her. God healed her. He gave her testimony. Her testimony created an atmosphere of faith. A guy with Lou Gehrig's disease got healed. I'm trying to explain gifts of healings. It's not your gift. It's his function. Through somebody that's faith grid will allow him to function without you tripping him up. You know, I know in Hebrews it says, let's don't be ensnared anymore with the sin that so easily entangles us. But what if it reversed it? What if our lack of faith entangles him from functioning through us? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Amen? So then it says to another, working in miracles. This is an amazing one. Good Lord. I was in Flint, Michigan. This is an amazing story. And I was preaching on prayer and healing Holy Spirit, I, don't, I only got one message. There's like 100 CDs, but it's one message. I'm sorry. 
I just keep adding on. I mean, I just add on. It's like all or nothing. If you're all's in, then God can do anything. If it's not, it's nothing. That's just the theme of my whole life. It's all or nothing. And so I'm preaching on healing and blah, blah, blah. And this little five-year-old deaf kid, he's been in the church his whole life. He can't hear nothing. He's totally deaf. All of a sudden, he runs up to pastor and grabs his shirt coat. He's got a jacket on. He's grabbing it. Pastor, what's wrong? It's too loud, pastor. <laughs> Boom. He can hear. Nobody put hands on him. I was just preaching about it. <laughs> See why I'm so messed up? It's not my fault. It's his fault. So in that same service, this lady came forward. No, I called a lady out from this side. And this is like a real traditional church, 15, 1800, big Nazarene church. And the pastor at that time, now he's the DS in that district, but it's just like I saw this lady on the second row, third row over here, and I said, you need to come up here and I got real close to her, and I couldn't even get my hand on her, and all of a sudden, she just falls down. Nobody's never done that in the whole history of that church. She falls on the ground, and she's delivered from all kinds of addictions. I just saw her, that she was afflicted, but my faith for that, that I could see clear, was because a little boy got his hearing. You see, when a working of miracles happens, that really elevates the faith in the atmosphere. That's what Jordan loves to go to India for. Because when miracles happen, everybody believes, right? Because this kingdom that's greater than this kingdom breaks in. Now faith rises for anything that's available in that kingdom that just broke in. So so I'm just trying to preach. And at the end, I said, now, if you want to be healed or delivered, because we had a lot of miracles that night. You know, a guy walked out of the choir loft without his walker. That was pretty cool. And... and, um, so then I said, come on up, you want another miracle? Well, this lady comes up, kind of looks real sharp. She's in a suit-like thing. And she's just standing there, you know, like, I want a miracle. So I walked up to her, and I said, man, you got so much fear, and there's something wrong with your stomach. And I almost got to her. I didn't even touch her, and she falls down. That doesn't happen. We're Nazarenes. It doesn't happen. It doesn't. It's not supposed to. And so we got her up. This is that. We got her up off the ground. And she took us, me and the pastor, and my dad was with me at the time. She took us out to dinner. And Pastor Gwen goes, why'd you fall down? And she goes, I don't know. And I found out she owned two banks. And she has no, she's not emotional. She doesn't do that stuff. And she goes, I don't know what happened. When he said, you have fear, there's something wrong with your stomach, I couldn't stand up. I felt this electric current just shooting through my body and she goes I got a, I got a surgery tomorrow on my stomach and I'm so full of fear and she goes once I was down there my husband was saying what's wrong she goes I don't know I can't get up and her husband was coddling her and she goes I'm not afraid now <laughs> so what was that well that was a working of a miracle that was a prophetic word that was a word of knowledge and they're not mine I can't prophesy nothing I don't have any knowledge I can't do one miracle, no healing, nothing. I got nothing. Look at me. But the one who possesses me. It's crazy. 
So, we need working of miracles. You with me? Okay, let's, let's keep going. I gotta hurry up. Help me, Dan. There's no clock. Okay, no, no worry about it. Okay, faith, healings, miracles, prophecy. Oh, I love that one. It's just speak what you hear. Rob taught on it so beautifully. Uh, the new covenant is a bunch of prophets, not a bunch of preachers. It's a bunch of people that sons and daughters, men servants, maid servants, everywhere you go, you speak what you hear. You speak what you hear. If you don't hear nothing, don't make nothing up. Amen. And when you prophesy, probably it opens up people's hearts faster than anything else because they know it's not from you. Amen? And sometimes preaching is the greatest display of prophecy because it's reminding people to stay in the faith, not to get scattered, keep encouraging each other all the more as we see the day approaching, Amen. keep reminding us to be a holy people set apart from sin, but in the world to season and leaven the world. So most of the time, prophetia is preaching, but what God really desires is that we will all be prophets yeah. and just speak his words, and his words are life. Amen? Amen. And then it says, and to another... Let's, let's look at, let's say, and to another, distinguishing of spirits. That's just being able to discern what God wants you to discern. I love that one. I think that's the one needed more than anything else right now. With so many things going wrong in the world, so many natural disasters, we need to discern what's going on. Do you guys agree with that? Yes. And it's not, listen, it's not the right to judge people. I don't call that discernment. discernment. I call that living in Plankville. Where you have a plank in your eye and you're trying to get specks out of people, that's not discerning of spirits. That's just pride. Here's what distinguishing spirits really is. If the Holy Spirit possesses you and he's on you and he's in you and he can't wait to flow through you and off of you to on other people's lives, this is the way it works. All of a sudden, he knows he can trust you. And he lets you see in a, in a moment of time, boom, a snapshot of that person's position their condition, their spiritual, emotional, physical, financial, relational vitality. It could be a person, a group, a church, a city. doesn't matter. God in a moment when he knows he can trust you. He lets you see from his point of view. And now you're not prideful like, whoa. You're like humbled like, oh my gosh, I know how to pray now. And it breaks you and it humbles you. It doesn't puff you up unless, of course, you're just operating with gifts without character. And then it's just a matter of time before you crash and burn. You get me? Okay, we got to hurry. Distinguishing of spirits and, and to another different kinds of tongues. Rob went into all that. You know, here's glossolalia, tongues, glossia, tongues. It's just a supernatural ability to articulate a song, a prayer, or a message in a way you didn't come up with. A supernatural ability given to anybody who's possessed by the Spirit to articulate a song, a prayer, or a message you didn't come up with. It came from God, and you just let it come through you. It could be the ability to speak another language. It could be the ability to pray another language. It could be the ability to, to speak a word that you have no idea why you're speaking it, but it, it ends up changing someone's life. You with me? How about, how about this? If it's a supernatural ability given to someone to articulate a message from God that you didn't come up with, what if God told me to give Jordan 
$10,000. That wouldn't just affect his... <laughs> no, listen now. If it's my idea, then it wouldn't have an effect past the pocketbook. But what if God told me to do it, and so I'm just a yes man because I'm possessed by the spirit that lives in me and rests on me, and so I do it. I don't know why I'm doing it, but I do it. And that, it doesn't just affect his pocketbook. All of a sudden, there's this message that's resonating in his heart that God knew exactly where he was, what exactly he needed, and God articulated a message through my obedient act that brought something to the person who got the message. Come on. So don't be freaked out by tongues. Everybody's got one. Use it. I don't want to go into more of that. And interpretation of tongues, interpret it. It's, God will help you interpret it. But I, I, want, I want to talk to this. Listen to this. This is what I want to talk Because I got all kinds of sermons on that, but I don't want to preach on that. I want to preach on this. I want to be a practitioner that creates faith that makes everyone to be a practitioner. I want to be... I want to leave this church tomorrow and drive to Seattle knowing everybody in the meeting doesn't know about the gospel. They do the gospel. I want us to do the gospel. So it's the connector word between all the nine functions. To one is wisdom and to another, knowledge, and to another, faith, and to another. It's the and to another connector word. It has two meanings. One is... All of those functions have to work in conjunction with one another for them to work. In other words, one doesn't just operate alone. You have to have a discernment to know how to have faith. You have to have a word of knowledge to know how to prophesy. You, they all work in conjunction with each other. It's not just like, well, I just have healing. No, healing, you don't have anything alone because you don't have just part of the wing. So it's end to another. All those functions work to support the other ones so that they all hold it in perfect, perfect like this image of Christ getting ready to release into a person and the manifestation that, that comes to a point would be one of the nine functions, but all the nine are bringing it to the point. I'm going to explain it in a minute. I want to give you the theology before I show you the experience. God doesn't work that way with me. He always gives me the experience and I have to dig for the theology. He likes it that way with me. The other way that went into another works is this. Let's say I had a word of knowledge for this lady, Angela. Good memory, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and I spoke it, I prayed, and God brought a healing to her. And to another, the manifestation that just brought healing to her, she might have something come on her that would bless him. And if it touched him, and to another, he might actually touch this person. And before long, and to another, everybody could be affected by the manifestation that's given to one for the profit of all. So let me explain two ways this works. You ready? I was in Nixon, Missouri. There were 700 people in the room, a dozen churches or so. And I remember I was preaching on the Holy Spirit, prayer, power, healing, holiness. I don't know. I just have one sermon. I was preaching, and about three-fourths of the way through my sermon, I heard the Lord tell me, someone's being healed over there. Tell them, and they'll, they'll just get healed right now. Their arms, being, their arms being healed right now. Just tell them. The Holy Spirit. I was preaching on Elijah. I remember just now. And so, about completing the sacrifice so the fire will fall. I remember. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> and so I'm trying to preach, and I ignored the Holy Spirit, because I don't do that. But Nazarene, we preach sermons. We don't 
stop our sermon and say, hey, somebody's being healed. Stupid. That's charismatic. <laughs> Come on. So I tried to ignore him, and all of a sudden, my tongue got tied. And I couldn't talk. I've never not been able to talk, ever. <laughs> ever. And I thought, okay, I'm in trouble. This is not good. Because I was having this argument with God. I remember I said, God, I, my name is Danny, not Benny. You got the wrong guy. I don't know, have a clue what you're... I was trying to talk him out of it, you know? And so, so he... Um, Finally, I said, okay, I can't preach anymore, folks. I'm a little embarrassed. And about five minutes or so ago, there was a lady or somebody over here that God told me their arm's being healed, and I'm afraid to say it because I don't know what's going on. But I want to be able to finish the sermon. So did anything happen? <laughs> I said it like that because it's not my function. I just said it like that. I'm not an expert. I never want to be an expert because then it becomes a program expert culture of some form of the religious body and I hate that I want to be spontaneous like kids who have childlike faith so when I said it a lady stood up I was like happy and she she went about five minutes ago my arm started burning and I fell on a work and witness trip a couple weeks ago and I have nerve damage in my elbow all the way up to my wrist I'm in constant pain about five minutes ago it was popping and it's on fire and it doesn't hurt at all. When she said that, about three or four hundred of the seven hundred ran to the altar. Now remember, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the profit of all. Are you getting this? So they're all praying. At the end of that service, the pastor who hosted the meeting sent me a card telling me what happened that night. He said, He said, um, 75 people were born again for the first time. 200 people were baptized in the Spirit. 37 people were healed, including one person who got new lungs, who who actually had a lung missing, and God gave him a new lung. That was one of the 37 physical healings. And I didn't know about anything except God told me about five minutes ago that I tried to ignore him that somebody was being healed over there in their arm. And I was afraid to let the word of knowledge and the discernment of Spirit and the prophetic utterance because I didn't understand it, because I didn't have a theology. I just was trying to be all that God wanted me to be. Are you with me? <laughs> I wasn't ever asked back to that church. <laughs> but I think God's happy. <laughs> Come on. I'm not working for church. I'm working for Jesus. The next time I remember it really stood out to me, and this is when God was starting to get me the theology on this. I was in um, Orange, Texas, where their church just now got destroyed by Hurricane Irma. No, the one before that. Harvey, Harvey yeah. And um, I was in Orange, Texas, and I, it, was a, it was a district gathering, about 300 people. There was 11 Nazarene pastors and the DS, Dr. Schrader, the one who invited me to tour the district. And I remember I was preaching on the Holy Spirit, and the things we do to keep the Holy Spirit from moving, because I was really convicted that if we just let the Holy Spirit come back in our church, it would be like the book of Acts. I still believe it. Yeah. And I was preaching, and all of a sudden, the Lord says, stop preaching. It doesn't do any good. There's a lid on the congregation. And he said, it's about this high. It's about five-eighths thick. It's like plexiglass, and there's nothing I can do in heaven to get in here because there's nobody here that's broken and desperate for me to come. They just came because they know it's a district function, and they knew they would see each other, And so you might as well dismiss the service. 
that was in 2010. That was like two years into my ministry. I'm trying to, you know, build a slate, have meetings. I like to eat. <laughs> and the only reason I got asked to come all the, I did 42 district tour revivals because everywhere I go, people would be sanctified and be healed. But I didn't know about seeing lids. Come on, it's weird. So I tried to ignore it. And the Holy Spirit said to me, I thought you said you were going to be obedient. So I said, okay, here we go. Dr. Schrader, this is it. He probably won't finish the tour. He'll send me home. You know, I'm just like freaked. I'm sweating. Because just because God says it doesn't mean it's going to be easy for you to do it. Am I right? So I said, okay, folks, I don't know how to say this, except I just got to say it because I'm here for Jesus. And <laughs> There's a lid on this congregation. Nothing's going to happen because none of you are hungry. That's all I said. <laughs> I just remember the sweat was rolling down my back. I could feel it. Just, it was just as quiet. You could hear a pin drop. Oh, boy. All of a sudden, the girl stood up. And she says, it's my fault. And inside my heart, I was like, yes. You know? I mean, I didn't do it. I didn't let her know. But I, I felt like an idiot. You feel stupid. And she goes, it was my fault. I go, what did you do, honey? And she goes, I led worship tonight. And she did. She was the singer. You know what she said? I knew all the pastors that would be here. I knew Dr. Schrader would be here. And I didn't worry about what to sing, what God wanted her fasting or praying to get the heart of God. I just worried about how I looked and how I would sound, and I need to repent. So that singer comes to the altar, and this is what Dr. Schrader put in his praise report, because I used to always ask people to put praise reports out, but then I got convicted, and so I stopped doing that two or three years ago. I don't need to do it. I just want God to come. So anyway, so she runs to the altar. Everybody in the congregation either comes to the altar or falls on their faces in their seats. There's nobody left sitting. It was a half-round sanctuary with aisles like this. Every aisle had people on their faces weeping. They're all weeping. I remember when they just started coming, I ran behind the pulpit. I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> so they started getting up, started, you know, started moving around, and all of a sudden I look over and there's a girl in the front row. She's in like her late 20s, and the Holy Spirit says, go pray for her. She's in pain. I went, okay, it's weird. How would I know that? So I walked over to her. I said, are you in pain? She goes, yes, I am. I said, can I pray for you? And she goes, yeah. I said, stand up. So she stood up. I started praying for her, and she fell on the ground. <clears throat> I never saw that. This was in 2010. I'm, I'm College Church of the Nazarene in Olathe, Kansas my whole life. My pastors were three Nazarene general superintendents. She fell down in front of 11 Nazarene pastors and a district superintendent. And she's on the ground. I'm trying to block her so nobody can see her. <laughs> I had no clue. She gets up. I'm watching because I don't know what to think. You know, because first of all, everybody got prayed through. And now this lady falls down. She gets up. And I watch her turn around. There's a lady behind her in like her 60s. And she says, can I pray for you? The lady says, yeah. 
And she touched that lady, and that lady started bending over, touching her toes. I thought, that's weird. She falls down, and she's touching her toes. <laughs> but the effects of the Spirit are different for everybody. The way we're affected, it's always different. The problem with the church people is we want people to be affected the way we want them to be affected instead of letting God affect them the way he wants to affect them. <laughs> so I found out after the service that the lady she touched was the secretary of that Orange Nazarene church. She just had had back surgery. The moment the little gal in her 20s touched her, all the pain left her back and to another. Then the lady who was touching her toes, she touched the couple behind her, a man and a wife that were married. I found out two years later when I went back to the same church that they were on the verge of divorce that night. But when the secretary touched them, God put love in their hearts back for each other and God healed their marriage. So the first girl fell down. The second gal started touching her toes and the back was healed. The third people, their marriage was healed. The effects were different for everybody, but it was and to another as the manifestation of the spirit was flowing and to another. So then the, the couple that the lady who bent over and touched her toes touched, they laid hands on a person next to the district superintendent. The person that touched the district superintendent, he started shouting. And before long, I watched all over the congregation, people were just praying for each other and to another. So I'm just watching this. I don't know what's going on. I don't have a theology. I'm just experiencing it. I look over here. There's a guy on the front row. He's got a suit on, so I'm assuming he might be a pastor. And the Lord says he's got four arrows in his back sticking in his heart. Go pull them out. I went, what? That's stupid. <laughs> no. You know, and God says, are you obedient or not? I mean, come on. So I walk over to this guy. I said, hey, buddy, can I pray for you? Sure. Do you have arrows in your back, like four of them? He goes, oh, man, this is weird. I said, tell me. <laughs> it is. He says, two weeks ago, I was preaching, and 40 people got up and walked out of my church. And they're all talking behind my back. And I thought God had forgot where I was. And the moment you said that, hope shot into my heart. I'm not afraid anymore. My God, it all started with seeing a lid. So at the end of that night, the next night, we went to Lake Houston Church of the Nazarene, which was just an hour and 15-minute drive. We were touring the district, South Texas district. So I get up to preach. That night, I didn't preach on that. I preached on sanctification, and everybody responds, and we're getting ready to go out and have a Whataburger, and I'm walking by, and there's a lady on the front row again, and the Lord says to me, you need to pray for that lady. I said, okay. I walked up to her and never heard this. She says, you're going to pray for me, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I knew you were. Really? How would you know that? And this is what that lady said. Remember that girl last night that you prayed for that fell on the ground? And I said, yeah. How do you know that? You know, I'm like, how do you know? That's my daughter. She's had fibromyalgia a couple years. She can't sleep at night. She's in constant pain. She slept all night last night. And she called me this morning. She goes, Mama, God healed me last night. And if you'll let him, he'll heal you tonight. So over the phone and to another, the gift of faith. And to another, the gift of faith. So I laid hands on a lady. She didn't affect at all. She didn't fall. She didn't get a marriage healed. She didn't touch her toes. She just sat there. The effects are different. I don't worry about the effects. I want to see the fruit. Yeah. You with me? Yeah. 
And so I finished the tour. The next week, I was on the West Texas District with Charles Jones. Corey Jones's daddy was the DS on that district at the time, and we were, ter- we were in Abilene, Texas. And I get a call from that lady that said, I knew you were going to pray for me. It was 10 days later. Um, she was the pastor's wife of the Lake Houston Nazarene Church. Her name was Pam Runyon. She'd been a missionary in Martinique when John and Linda Seaman were there, and then they'd started that. They planted the Lake Houston Nazarene Church. It was a church of about 350 people. She goes, Brother Dan, I don't know how to explain this. I've had lupus for the last 18 years. I've been in constant pain. I can't hardly walk. I can't run. I used to run. For the last 10 days, I've been running three miles a day. I have no pain in my body. I just thought you might want to know that. Because let me explain what happened. I was standing in a room just doing what God told me to say, preaching my message. He said, stop. So I've got to be obedient. Okay, what? There's a lid. That's discerning of spirits. Then he gave me faith to have the courage to speak the utterance and prophesy into the atmosphere. So all those functions in me that are the Holy Spirit's, they're working to get me to muster up the word to say, hey, I can't preach anymore because there's a lid. It wasn't my sheer determination to be obedient. It was the functions of the Spirit building me up. Hallelujah. You get it? So when I release the word, remember, it's for the profit of all. Amen. One lady says, it's my fault. Her act of repentance triggered a chain reaction of repentance where everybody gets right with God. Amen. Now, I love it. In corporate repentance, there's always corporate anointing. Amen. If everybody gets free in touch with the fire of God, God can move more freely than if it's only 80%. People go back to their seats, I touch a lady, she gets healed, she touches a lady, she gets healed, he, she touches a couple, they get healed, and to another, I touch a guy, he gets healed, God moves him from the Port Arthur Nazarene Church, now he's in Bentonville, they're getting ready to build this huge building, his church is exploding, because he got hope that night from some crazy guy that said, he got four arrows in your net back, it's stupid, it's just stupid, but his ways are higher. And then a lady says the next night, hey, my daughter said God healed her. I knew you were going to pray for me. And so the faith of Anne to another over the phone call gave her faith to instantly be healed of 18 years of lupus. This is my opinion. If we don't get in fear or get distracted or let sin in, I don't think nothing ever has to stop the ripple effect of Anne to another. Why would it ever have to stop? God doesn't want to stop. How in the world would we ever become the body of Christ unless it was end to another? All these functions were just flowing for the profit of all of us. Whoa, it's good preaching. Amen? Some of you are saying, I don't know about that. I don't either, except I know it's God because I know what he does. Now I'm going to tell you why I don't think we usually live it. Because we allow this realm to be a greater reality than his realm. We allow our last prayer that didn't get answered to speak louder than the commandment to lay hands on everybody that's sick. Matthew 6, 22, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is good, your whole body is full of light. So if I have one single clear vision that Jesus' word is my reality, if his kingdom is the only kingdom I acknowledge, 
If I have a single vision on Jesus, then everything he's trying to put in me, I actually have the ability to let it flow out of me. A good eye. Not like, well, that's what his word says, but that's what the doctor says. No. That's what his word says, but that's what the church says. No. What does he say? That has to become my reality. I got to have one eye. Not like yes and no. Yes. Did you get it? Because if I'm being filled with that, that's all I have to release. Rob alluded today to this story that happened at his camp meeting. I'll never forget this. I was preaching away on the gifts of the Spirit. I didn't get this reputation for no reason. I was preaching, man. And at the end, I said, hey, I feel like God's got a grace here to heal everybody with depression. So if you're depressed, come up here real fast. About 100 people came up for depression. And I noticed about 100 people got up and went to the snack shop. So there's about 600 left in the seats. There's 100 people getting Diet Cokes and hot dogs. And there's 100 people that need healing. That would never happen here. So you know what my vision did? Hot dogs, Cokes. If Ohio State was on the one-yard line, it was overtime. Would you get a hot dog or would you try to see him through? It was in Ohio. I don't even like them. Isn't that? That's right. I don't like them. I'm an OU man, Oklahoma. Okay, that's enough. But listen, listen to me. My vision went to everybody that wasn't believing instead of the people that needed healing. You see how hard it is to keep your vision on his reality when we're surrounded by all these different circumstances? Man, he says I'll prosper and I'll lend and not borrow, but look at my bank account. He says I'll be healthy, but look at my doctor's report. Come on. It's a reality. He says this, but we're surrounded my, my vision left the 100 people that needed healing. I couldn't even notice them for a minute, and I just went over, and I was mad. And the Holy Spirit says to me, what are you doing? Get over it. You're not here for them. You're here for these people that need to be healed. Forget it. That's what he said to me. Get your vision back on me. It's a real battle. So I did. Here comes this lady in the wheelchair Rob talked about. DS is standing right here. No, he's here. Rob's here. There's about 15 pastors up here. They're laying. They're helping me pray. I said, honey, you real depressed? No, I'm, I want to walk. <laughs> the first thing out of my mouth was, well, this is a depression altar call. And it was. <laughs> it was. She was honest. <laughs> And she says, I'm not depressed at all. I want to walk. And so I'm sitting there like, okay. So I, I did a stupid question by asking her what was wrong. That's stupid. Why do I need to know what's wrong? Jesus didn't say to the guy at the pool, Bethesda, how long have you been laying here? He said, you know, if you would have stopped sinning, maybe you, he didn't say any of that. You know what he said? Here, take up your mat, go home. Because he likes to heal. So I ask, how long have you been there? Ten years. Boom. Oh, boy, that didn't help. Why did I open my mouth? 
what's the disease? She names the disease. Now I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> you see why it's so important to have a single vision. It's like you got to have a good eye. You can't have it. So I'm looking at it, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, look. And he showed me, and I saw her get up. Right before my eye, I saw her get up. What happened? That's God faith. I saw it. So I said, we're going to get up, honey. So I got down and put those things up. I said, come on, grab my hand. She goes, I'm afraid. I said, I'm freaked out. I was. I was scared to death, but I saw her get up. So I grabbed her hands. I said, move the wheelchair. I said, you haven't walked in 10 years? Let's try to go backwards first. This might be easier just to shuffle. So she did. Then I let go and let her hold on to one finger. And I said, walk forward. So she starts walking. I said, you're doing good. She started walking back and forth in front of that tent. People were hooping. She hadn't walked in 10 years. People were hooping and hollering. And everybody at the snack shop with hot dogs in their mouth <laughs> were looking in underneath the tent flaps. And what happened? Rob was there. Now listen to this. You know what the Lord told me? It's not their heart that's the problem. Those, those old people that, that went to the snack shop, it was, their, it was their vision that was the problem. They all love me. They wouldn't be at church. They wouldn't be sitting in a tent when it's 100% humidity and 95 degrees and three-hour services. They love me with their heart. They don't have a vision or a perspective that believes me anymore because of the disappointments in their life. You know, they prayed, and they didn't get healthy, and they prayed, and they, they can't seem to lick that habit, and they prayed for their husband, and he still died of cancer, and they prayed for their kids, and they're still divorced, and they prayed for their grandkids, and they're still on drugs, and they prayed for their church, and it's still dying, and before long, you don't have a vision that believes the truth. You have a vision that's so skewed by all your circumstances. That's why we don't live 1 Corinthians 12 as a lifestyle. We allow what we see to affect what he sees through us. I think and to another should never stop. I pray it doesn't in this group. I, I really feel like the vision God gave me. It's like Hillsong and Jesus culture. River House is in the same category. You just don't see it yet. I mean that. Tell you another story. I was in... Um, Cadillac, Michigan, and we had a three-night deal. And the first night, a couple came up to me, and I, it was after the service. I was sitting in my chair by my table, and they said, would you pray for our baby? I said, what's wrong with your baby? Well, the, the brain doesn't have the soft spot in six-month-old baby, but it has the brain the size of like a three-month preemie baby. And they're going to have to saw the baby's skull open tomorrow so the brain can grow or, or the baby's going to die. I don't have faith for that. But I have compassion. So I said, give me the baby. You see, if I was worried about my reputation and my ministry, I don't want the baby. I said, well, let me, I'll pray for you. I wanted the baby. Whether the baby lives or dies, I want to go for that because I have compassion, right? And so I grabbed the baby. I said, Lord, heal this baby's brain. Well, the next day, the pastor Brian called me. The next day. Did you hear about such a, I don't know, who's that? You know, the kid, the brain, Yeah. They went to the doctor this morning to have the sod, and um, the, the skull had doubled in size overnight. Mm. 
So that next night of that meeting, it gets better. I'm sitting back at my table, you know, peddling CDs. <laughs> stupid. I just, stupid. I just wish I could give them all away, but then you wouldn't listen to them. It's just stupid. Anyway, um, they're not stupid sermons. It's just redundancy to me. Oh, I don't even say that. You need, you, need, you need to get the CDs, but I don't want to peddle them. Come on. So I'm sitting back there, and there's this guy pushing his wife in in a wheelchair, and she's just like this. I said, hey, man, why'd you guys come tonight? We need a miracle. And he looks at his wife. I said, you okay? And she's just like this. Where'd you guys come from? He named some town, and I was in northern Michigan. They were in Ohio. I said, how far is that? Four and a half hour drive. That's, that'll impress God. They were hungry. So they left. They came in and sat in the back with the wheelchair. He's sitting there beside her, and the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to heal her tonight. That's not even fair. I knew he was going to heal her. Because I wasn't even thinking that. I'm thinking, holy smokes, they're going to go home disappointed. <laughs> I'm just like you, man. I need the functions of the Holy Spirit to do anything. I'm not a super Christian. I'm the weakest guy in the room. But in my weakness, it gives us strength, a place to manifest. I don't have any confidence in me. I want you to know that. I got nothing. One step outside of his grace, I'm the worst reprobate sinner on the planet. got nothing except he's got me you with me so we did our service it's about two and a half hours in now i got faith because i haven't seen them move yet and i said sir push your wife up here god's gonna heal her (laughs) i said it like that (laughs) the whole service she's been like this so he pushes her up he's on the back of the wheelchair and what's wrong with your wife sir well, she has Lou Gehrig's disease. Oh, boy, why did I call her up? This is the dumbest thing I've ever done. So I got to try to get out of this. So, sir, how long has she had it? Nine years. That didn't help. And I was like, oh, are you kidding? Can she move? Like, can she move anything? No, for about three and a half years now, she can't talk. She can't move her limbs. She can't, I have to move her. Holy Spirit says, what are you waiting on? That's all he said to me. I'm freaking out. He's not freaking out. That's what I'm saying. Our lack of faith limits the Holy One of Israel. Some of you may feel uncomfortable. It's okay to feel uncomfortable. The question is, what will we do with our uncomfortableness? Will we let it provoke us to become like him? Or will we let it offend us so we walk away from him? There's always a fine line. So I'm like, okay, sir, I'm sorry. I I have no faith. And God says, I told you I was going to heal her. And all of a sudden, my face went white. It's like, oh. And I thought he was going to kill her and take her to heaven. That's the first thing that entered my mind because that's the ultimate healing. I'm thinking that'll ruin the whole service. If she dies right here, it's like, (laughs) it's most. I mean, I'm sick. And he goes, get her up. So now he's not going to heal her. He's gonna... So I said to her, I said, honey, 
if you want me to pray for you, would you just look at me? Because I'm just looking for any hope, right? I want to know. And, and her husband, you know, he's got the wheelchair. She can't do that, Brother Bohai. She can't look. She can't do that. And that little girl in the wheelchair hadn't moved in three and a half years. Hadn't moved. She just goes. And she flops her head back. She's eyeballing me. <laughs> and I got, you know, your hair. It's like the back of your neck. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like a whoa. <laughs> Cougar. Ah! I mean, it's like, I, it'll do something to you. I mean, <laughs> and her husband said, she can't do that. And I said, shut up. <laughs> so it's, I'm, this is weird. This is uncharted territory. This is the first Lou Gehrig's disease one. Because what the Holy Spirit said, he says, what are you waiting on? So he started bringing my vision back to his reality instead of that Lou Gehrig's has no cure. You see, with God, all things are possible. But I have to have that vision as my vision before I could ever let it be released through me. I, it can't be a theory. It has to be my perspective. It has to be my reality. So I said, honey, if you want me to pray for you, would you just reach out to me? And her husband says, she can't. I said, shh. Will you just grab me? And that little gal, she reached up and she grabbed my hands and she pulled herself up on her feet and she fell into me. So I was holding her. You know, her face was against me. I was just holding this lady. And her husband's just crying. And I said, honey, you want to try to walk? And she goes, hmm. So we started walking. I said, you're doing pretty good. I'm going to let go. And she walked around that room by herself, and she hadn't moved in three and a half years. Yeah. And, and it happened, listen, it happened when my vision got off of there's no cure for Lou Gehrig's onto God says I'm going to heal her, so am I going to trust his word over the scientific world? Because if I'm being filled with that reality, that's the reality I actually have to give back. But if I'm being filled with, well, sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't, then it's hit or miss. So they're walking around the room. I'm in shock. The whole place floods to the altar. Her husband was the first one to the altar. He gave his life to Jesus. They put her back in the chair and pushed her back to the back, and the service went on another half hour or so. People couldn't believe it. That was a creative miracle. Okay, so the last half hour, this is what happened. I watched that lady form a fist who couldn't move when she came to the service. But for the last 30 minutes, after she walked around, they were in the back, and I was watching them because I was just like, I was numb. I mean, it, it spread so fast. Four of the district superintendents on the Olivet Nazarene region, they all called me and said, what happened? And I said, talk to the pastor. <laughs> That's what I said. But that lady, she would make a fist, and she would smile and make it loud like a, ah, and she would hit her husband on the arm. For a half hour. 
I have no idea why she's hitting her husband, except maybe she's trying to catch up for the last three and a half years. I have no clue. So we dismissed the service. Now listen to this. This is very important. We dismissed the service, and two elderly ladies that were on the back row ran up to Pastor Brian McCall, the Nazarene pastor. And I, I was listening, you know, because I want to know what's going on. I'm just eavesdropping. And they said, we're sorry, Pastor. And he goes, what do you mean? We didn't believe in miracles. And we didn't like your preaching. We didn't like you bringing Dan because both of their husbands had died. We saw what happened to that lady. We've been watching her the last half hour. We believe in miracles now. You know what happened? They saw a miracle, so it got their perspective back on the way it was in the beginning. Do we need more of this? Do we need more? You say, well, I don't know. I've been praying for somebody. They didn't get healed. Yeah, join the club. That's the part I don't like. Because Jesus didn't have that problem. And we're called to be Christ-like. So there's probably room to grow in faith. There's probably room to grow in confidence and boldness. So, this is what I want to do. What time is it, Jordan? Oh, boy. I need some Fiji water. <laughs> we need to move them. Can I get some help moving the front chairs? And can I have um, the other Jordan come up and play the piano? It is Jordan, right? Or maybe it's not. Can we have an air conditioner? Turn the AC on just a little bit. I just want to make room for people to be able to come up here and get prayer. I want to pray prayers of impartation, okay? And um, everybody get a seat. Let's make room for everybody to sit down. I want you to have to stand. I want everybody to be able to sit down just for a minute, okay? You can play soft. I love that. You're Jordan, right? Okay. Everybody sit down. I just want to be able to see everybody. Um, I want to pray prayers of impartation. And I don't think I got to explain that to anybody in this room because you're all after the kingdom. So I want to explain that. I don't have to explain that. I want to tell you, one, one night I had a dream. I was in Fort Worth, Texas. And in the dream, revival broke out at Corey Jones's church to where it got so big that God TV put it on seven nights a week from seven to 10 in my dream. And people came from every country of the world to get impartations for holiness and healing. And it was, I woke up on Friday morning about 8.30 from that dream, and I was sharing it with Corey and Beth Ann, the pastors of that Crossroads Church there. And they were crying. And about 15 minutes later, later Rob, Randy Clark called me. And Rob was getting his doctorate with Randy Clark, my friend Rob. 
Okay, Randy called me the morning after I had that dream. And he says, hey, I want to pray an impartation on you. Okay. I want more, because I'd read his book, There's More, seven times. So I was primed. You get it? So I remember, I said, I got to go outside. So I was walking in Corey's backyard, and for a couple minutes, Randy's just praying this prayer of impartation. He said, Lord, let miracles increase in the Nazarene tribe. Let baptisms and sanctifications increase a thousandfold. He said, Everywhere Dan goes, let angels stick their heads through the ceiling and push back any demonic forces or anything that interferes with what you want to do to bring renewal and awakening. He's praying that he's never met me. Rob told him about me. The next morning after I had that dream. So I left that afternoon to start a new meeting. And a little guy that had half-inch thick glasses, eyes were healed. That's cool. The next church I went to, a guy with Parkinson's that couldn't stop shaking was healed. That's cool. The next church I went to, a lady that had two arm braces that was pregnant was healed and she could move her arms. That's amazing. The next church I went to, the song leader had a boot on because she had an Achilles tendon that wouldn't fuse to her heel bone because of diabetes. And they did three fusion surgeries and it wouldn't fuse. And all I did was pray for her. And the next minute I know she takes her boot off and throws it through the air. And the next night she brings an x-ray, and on the x-ray the doctor wrote, there's no explanation, your bone's fused. The next church I went to, there was a lady in a wheelchair, and I couldn't wait because my faith was so high. From, I went, and the Lord says, don't you pray for her, she's freaked out by you. I said, okay. So I went to the last the service, the third night. Holy Spirit says, go pray for her now. So I went back over to this lady in the wheelchair. I wanted to pray for her the first night. I said, what's wrong with you, honey? Oh, I had a stroke. My whole side's paralyzed. I haven't been able to walk for a couple years. Do you care if I pray for you? She goes, oh, I was hoping you would tonight. The first night, I was freaked out by you. (laughs) I said, let's go, honey. Thank you, Jesus. And the moment I grabbed her hand, she got out of the wheelchair. And she followed me around, and she helped me pray with everybody in the room that night. The district superintendent was there. He couldn't believe it. The next night, I always forget to tell this story. The next night, I was in Richardson, and I got up to preach. No, it was during the worship set. And I was just kind of looking around the crowd. I was kind of feeling out what the Spirit wants to do. I saw this guy on the back. He was on a cane. And I had faith that he had faith to be healed. Isn't that weird? We're singing worship. I'm just scanning the crowd, trying to get a feel for what I should preach, because I never know. See this guy, I have faith that he has faith. I looked at him. That's weird. He throws his cane down. Comes walking up front. As soon as I get to preach, he goes, can I testify first? I said, sure. Why'd you throw your cane down? He says, 40 years ago, I used to work for the AT&T, and I was all the way at the top of the pole, and I fell down and broke my back, shattered it. I've been in pain for 42 years. He says, when you looked at me, I felt faith. It's just weird. I got goosebumps now. It happened a long time ago. And he says, when I felt faith, I felt my back strengthen, and I have no pain. I'm just telling you what happened after like a two-minute phone call of impartation. So the next church I went to, um, 
there was a pastor that had Parkinson's and he didn't get healed. But there was a lady on a walker that came dragging her feet up to me like this. I said, honey, you need prayer? She goes, no, I'm great. You are? What's wrong with you? She says, I have myopathy. I can't feel my feet, so I have to look down so I don't trip. Really? You don't want? No, I'm good. Pray for my husband. So I think her husband's, you know, probably near death. If she's good, I mean. So I look back, and she goes, he's back there on the back row. I said, okay. And he's like this. Frowner syndrome. It's terrible. I made that up. It's just stupid. She said to me, I think he's a Christian. He's just not all in. I don't even know what that means. Except the whole church is full of them. They're comfortable sitting in church. They have no desire to be like Jesus. So for three days I preached like I do. And I used to quote like hundreds of scriptures, but I slowed down. I feel like, I, I don't know. So I'm looking at him. The whole time I quote a scripture, I see him look it up. He stared at me for three days. Every once in a while when I was preaching, I'd catch his eye and I'd wink at him. Just to let him know. I just want him to know. I see you, okay? So the third service... His wife comes up. For some reason, after seeing what was happening for three days, she has faith. She wants prayer now. You know, the one who doesn't need prayer. So I said, here, honey, grab your hands. Boom. She falls out in the spirit. Two, Fifteen minutes later, she gets up. No walker. She's kind of dancing around. She's 70. She's dancing around. Healed. She's hugging me. Makeup. Hugging me, bawling, hey, she's all over me. And she goes, Look. And I looked over, her husband was at the altar, crying and weeping. His shoulders were shaking. He was crying so hard. I just looked at him. So he gets up. This is weird. He gets up, he comes over to me, and he says, He hugged me. Hard. I don't know him. He's he's the starer. He's hugging me. It gets awkward, you know, a minute goes by, he won't let go. Come on. He's right in my space. I want to become love, but you know, like let me gradually work into it, you know? I mean finally he backs up and he goes, Hey man, thanks for preaching the truth. He didn't believe a word I said until he saw his mama, his wife, get healed. He didn't believe until he saw a demonstration of the gospel. And so he says, thanks for preaching the truth. And I said, well, no problem. And then he said this, I'm all in. <laughs> Come on. I went, I went back. That was in Odessa, Texas. I went back the next year to Midland, Texas, which is about 25 minutes. And that couple, the lady that fell down, the guy, he was on fire, and she was still walking without a walker. So 
I was in Belton, Texas, down by Georgetown. I got to the end. Who needs a miracle? Because I just like to, I like to see God do miracles. I think he's a God of miracles. So I said, come on up. So a bunch of people came up. And I remember there was two district superintendents. One was Harold Graves Sr. And one was Marcel Knight. Two retired DSs in their 80s. So I said, who's first? Harold goes, he's got hair growing out of his arms. He's old. I mean, his ears. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I love him. He's an amazing guy. But he goes, I can't hear. I said, okay. I, I didn't say that. Okay. Stupid. Stupid. Forget it. Take that off the tape. Come on. <laughs> so I prayed for his ears. Nothing happened. Now, what's the tendency of people if you base your faith on results? If the results don't happen, your vision follows what didn't happen. And now I got a divided vision. I didn't follow it. I went right to Marcel. What's wrong, Dr. Knight? I have a stage four tumor in my chest. It's about the size of a fist, killing me. Okay, come here. All I did was touch his chest, and he went, oh! I said, what's wrong? It's burning. I said, that's good. That's good. So 10 days later, Marcel's son, who teaches Sunday school at the Georgetown Nazarene Church, he called me. He said, I got to tell you about my daddy. What? He said, he went to get his PET scan. They can't find the tumor. It's gone. So the last church on that 30-day swing was in Midland, Texas. And I'd seen all these miracles. I'm just telling you highlights. A lot of stuff happens. You don't know, you know. I just told you the things I remember. And I got to Midland, and I started feeling fear about opposition. How many of you know if you really want to step out and try to live Jesus, it'll probably get a lot harder? You won't always feel the wind at your back. You'll be straining at the oars in the fourth watch of the night. Come on. Am I right? So I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I, you know, why are these people criticizing me? Why is this guy, this DS coming again? Why, why is this happening, God? And my daughter's falling apart. It's like, come on. And I'm in fear. You know what ruins your vision the fastest? Fear. Fear. Well, I prayed for them. They didn't get healed. Well, my marriage still sinks. My daughter, my kids are lost. My business is fear. There's two options for a believer, love or fear. Love is where faith lives. Fear is where flesh lives. That's the only two options we have. And I was in fear. Can you imagine after all I've seen? Because somebody's criticizing? Sounds like Elijah. Raises a dead boy, has ravens feed him, kills 850 people, 450, calls down fire, stops rain for three years, dries up the whole planet, and a woman calls him and threatens him, and he's like freaked out and runs 800 miles. <laughs> I mean, it's stupid. 
We only have two options, love or fear. Fear gives Satan a feeding frenzy. Love repels him. So I called my wife. I want to come home. I said, honey, I can't do this anymore. Our daughter's falling apart. These people are criticizing me. I just can't do it anymore. You know, my wife said, suck it up. She goes, you're not coming home. And that pissed, that ticked me off. That ticked me off. You got to edit this sermon, dude. Come on. I'm getting ordained. This is ridiculous. I want, I want to do better, but I'm, it's my house. I can come home. you're not coming home. You, you have an anointing. People are going to be healed tonight. People are going to be delivered tonight. People are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you need to practice what you're preaching everywhere you go. You gave your daughter to God when you gave her up when we gave her and dedicated her to God. And you don't think God can handle your own daughter? And you're worried about critics? You do what God called you to do. And she hung up the phone on me. I'm mad. So I go to lunch with the pastor. I can't even taste the food. It's Abuelo's Mexican. I love it. I got, I'm hungry. I'm, not hung, I'm mad because I'm in fear. So I'm pouting. I go back to my hotel. I'm sitting in my suburban. Windows down. September. It's cool. It's like in 70. I'm just sitting there. Holy Spirit says to me, and this is very important, this difference between living 1 Corinthians 12 as a lifestyle or living in fear with no fruit. Holy Spirit comes to me and says, are you going to stay in the fear of man or are you going to get back in the kingdom? That's all he said. He didn't say, I'm really sorry about your daughter sorry you're going through a hard time. I'm sorry about your critics. You know, it's kind of stupid when you think about it, because if I'm sitting someday in the awards ceremony where everybody gets their awards for heaven, like I'm sitting by Paul, and he says to me, hey, what'd you go through? Some of the air conditioners in the hotels, Paul, kind of smelled moldy. And <laughs> it's just stupid. It's just stupid when you think about it. You see, i got to have a new perspective. If criticism has any effect on me at all, I forgot who God is. So I said to God, because I started thinking about it, if I don't get back in the kingdom... I don't have anything. I got nothing. So I started crying because I don't know how stupid it was. It was really real to me. But it was because I was looking at that instead of him. When I look at him, everything fades. And so I said, Father, 
I'm sorry. I got to be in the kingdom. And peace. Peace, man. My family was still a wreck. Critics were still going haywire. But I was like sleeping in the boat in the middle of the storm because the moment I said, I'm getting out of fear, I'm going to get back into the kingdom. I chose to change my mind. Peace. So that night I'm preaching. I don't have any fear. Back to normal. Anybody need a miracle? Here we go. The effects are all different. So the service is over. I'm packing up my CDs. And this tall, skinny guy with white hair comes up and goes, don't leave. I need to talk to you. Okay. I had no fear. I'm in the kingdom. So I put my stuff up. I'm sitting here in the front. There's this man and his wife and the pastor. I said, okay, sir, what's up? I never met him. When you touched me tonight, a bright light blinded me. Immediately... I'm judging him as emotional. He's just a charismatic, emotional guy. Because I had judgment in me then. I don't have it now, but I did then. Thank God he changes us. Aren't you glad he changes us? So I'm judging him. Bright light? I didn't see no bright light. See, we judge other people's experiences if we haven't had them. And then he says, this cloud surrounded me, and I couldn't hear nothing, I couldn't see, and I was stuck, and I was afraid. Then the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm supposed to give your ministry $100,000 every year till you die. Can you say that again, please? <laughs> and he does it. Listen to this. How'd that happen? I left fear. I got back in the kingdom. I went from looking at what was wrong back to having a good eye. Now I'm being filled with all the reality of heaven. So at any moment, all I did to that man that night was touch him. God who lives in me flowed into that guy because I wasn't in fear. I have thousands of stories like that. I want to know tonight if you're hungry in your heart to allow Holy Spirit to possess you in such a way that he can take you way past your wildest imaginations and do more than you can ask or imagine according to the power that's at work within every believer. I want to lay hands. I don't have anything to give you except faith. He's the one who gives it. 
I just want to be his instrument of righteousness. But if there's somebody in this room that's willing to say, okay, I don't care what God calls me to do, because you need to be careful, because when God called me, I didn't know it was 300 days a year. I didn't know. But I said yes. I'm an ordinary guy who's trying to get educated, who's overweight, says stuff I probably shouldn't say sometimes. I'm trying to learn. But he possesses me. He owns me. He has all of me. I want to see the body of Christ so free. So we're not afraid. We're not tempted to do this all the time. We just live. That's my Jesus. That's my vision. That's my reality. And that's what I'm being filled with. So I can give it away. And to another. Amen.